care for all Your bros can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. Uh, This is Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Clare. And we are speaking to you from our new hell world. We are (laughs) live from our separate bedrooms. Uh, Yeah. So, okay. Anyways, since the last time we talked to you. Wow, has a lot happened. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the last time we talked was on uh last tuesday so a week ago and it was um the whole world was different yeah i mean i remember like bernie sanders you know losing uh the primaries that night and thinking oh my god this is gonna be the worst thing that happens to me this week and i was so wrong about that i mean things have just gotten so much exponentially worse since then yeah 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 um it's yeah it's just been it's been totally wild what have you been doing julia well uh i have gone i have gone remote at my job um spending a lot of time indoors obviously um i've been trying to improve my french language skills (laughs) um i've been reading uh been watching a lot of the bon appetit youtube channel really uh cooking talking to my roommates getting real real close with my roommates (laughs) yeah we're looking for a new roommate at my house right now and it's crazy to think like whoever this person is i have to like bunker down with them and i'm gonna like see this person like constantly like this guy came to see the room today and super sweet guy i really like him but he is a singer and i'm just like that might be very intense during the quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. can't. Um, I actually used to live with when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. My roommate was a violin teacher, who's a viol- like a professional violinist, and it was honestly beautiful. <laughs> it was, like his students were terrible, uh, but that wouldn't be. I, I don't think that he would have lessons over at, at this point in time. But yeah. It's a lot to live with a uh, yeah, musician. Yeah. So I'm, I've am i currently been quarantining with a, a guy that I've been dating one month. And um, it's, a, it's a very interesting experience to be uh, fully quarantined with someone that you have not had the talk with. <laughs> <laughs> the world is ending and you're like, so what are we? Oh, my God. I hooked up with someone on Friday and now I can't hook up with them again because I'm too afraid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really like, I don't know what people are supposed to do about dating at this time. I guess not at all. I mean, here's the thing, like from all accounts. Okay. I, I, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist obviously, but I actually am. So yeah, go on. So the coronavirus, apparently, like there's like a few things that could make us be able to go back outside and make businesses reopen. Um, One would be that a vaccine is developed and is widely available. They think that that will take a year at least. Um, One is uh, that the virus peaks 
and that we are uh, able to test for it. You know, right now we're like staying inside because we're trying to flatten the curve, basically make sure that not everybody gets coronavirus at the same time so that people can like get treatment in the ICU if they need to and the beds aren't completely overwhelmed, you know, so um, possible if they're able to widely test and the peak of the coronavirus is over, which they will need tests to determine um, that some degree of going out again will be allowed. Um, and the other one, the other two possibilities are like that you know, people develop herd immunity, um, which would be like if the virus turns out to be something that you can't catch again if you've already had it, which is true for other coronavirus type things. But, you know, we don't really know if that's true for this one or we don't know if it's seasonal. So we could be looking at, you know, a semi return to normal ish life in the summer if it is seasonal and then kind of, I think, go back inside in the fall. Um, but either way, I mean, this is not, you know, this this is not ending anytime soon. It's looking like schools are going to be closed for the rest of the year. I know here in New York, they said that they'd check again in late April and see how the situation is developing. But yeah, I just I don't see a world where this kind of a new inside life goes on for less than a period of months. Um, it's very stressful. It really is. I work for a university and its classes are going to be remote for the rest of the semester. We just got that email yesterday. So that's May, I want to say. And I mean, the class of 2020 is so fucked. They <laughs> can't have real graduation. Um, when they were when they were freshmen, two months into their freshman year, Donald Trump was elected. <laughs> and now they can't have a graduation. They can't, like, they have to, like, finish their college <sighs> in, like, self-isolation. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I mean, I'm just, like, there's so much to process. Like, first of all, a lot of people are probably going to die. I mean, I hopefully there's, you know, some medical interventions that are developed soon. I know they're working on some stuff, but, you know, like it, it could be like more than a million people, um, which is incredibly fucked up. And then, you know, we're in a we're entering a, a period of recession that I think people are predicting is going to be worse than 2008. Like all of our friends um, are, you know, comics or folks who work in the the service industry or dog walkers and stuff like that and there's a lot of people who just cannot go to work right now and it is just the, right now there's there's no real assistance for people at all except for unemployment insurance you know which doesn't actually help any of the gig workers or anything like that or people who make their money on uh tips you know so it's a uh, yeah, and plus, like, unemployment insurance is not your your whole income, but, you know, right now there's no, like, rent moratorium, and, you know, of course, we still don't have, like, Medicare for All or, you know, free utilities or anything like that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, this new world that we're living in, it's, it's definitely possible to imagine that, you know, the social safety net does 
expand in some way once there's more of a public clamoring for it, which there will be. It's also possible to imagine that there will be uh, not very much relief like there wasn't in 2008. Um, it's also possible to imagine that there will be some sort of um, neoliberal means tested uh, one time BS that helps people not enough and then goes immediately away. Um, yeah, I mean, we just don't we don't know. I mean, the situation is going to be developing rapidly. Um, you know, right now, there was like a few offers on the table. Mitt Romney has proposed a one time payment of a thousand dollars, like not UBI in the sense that it wouldn't be like ongoing. But uh, Kamala Harris tweeted this thing this morning that she was proposing uh, up to five hundred dollars for workers on a monthly basis but then that's only like it was like five hundred dollars per married couple so it would be like 200 up to 250 dollars for one person and means tested and then she just got like ratioed because people were like you know your haircut costs that much stop it you know like so i mean right now there's just you know the the solutions that are being proposed by all you know besides uh the squad and our friend uh, Daddy Bernie are just uh, very are, are, are extremely meager and are not going to help get people through. Totally. And I actually think that this particular crisis um, really exposes the hollowness of even what Andrew Yang was proposing, his universal basic income, because it was meant to be a replacement for other government assistance. And I think this a crisis like this makes it so evident that we need a robust social safety net in place first and foremost before anything like that. Because anything, Andrew Yang's version of UBI or even, you know, what Kamala and Mitt Romney are proposing, it's a Band-Aid. It's, uh, you know, extremely short-sighted relief that will not go far and it will not go anywhere near as far as something like universal health care, obviously. Uh, and, you know, the other sorts, uh, the other pillars of, of the social safety net that we need to be in place. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here, because there's going to be certainly a lot more people. Um, hoping for socialist programs now that a lot of people are going to be, you know, no longer in the middle class. Um, and a lot of working class people are going to be, I mean, like people were already decimated by 2008, you know, and it's like people mostly, I think, don't have savings. Oh, and, no. You know, it's like, I'm lucky that I have some work I can do from home and you do too. But, you know, there's so many people that don't, have anything i mean a lot of my income is gone i was uh making uh a a good portion of my income from live performance and you know that is all disappeared for the near future i can probably survive but it's just like you know i'm thinking about like just you know the people who are just doing that which is like a lot of people i know i mean it's just it's crazy to wake up and one day have your entire livelihood wiped out and no solution to it at all and that's a situation a lot of people are in right now so i don't know if there's going to be sort of like you know 
a mass call for more uh, socialist programs. Twitter certainly looks that way, but it's hard to see what it will affect and if the will of the voters, you know, really matters, you know, given how beholden to corporations a lot of these people are, you know, I mean, they already like did like a the, the bailout that happened so far was a $1.5 trillion bailout of the fucking stock market, you know, which did nothing for working of people. Course. So, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think that there's, you know, the good news is there is about to be a lot more socialists. The bad news is um, TBD, if that matters, you know. Um, just for all of our New York listeners, there is a petition uh, going around for a um basically a, a moratorium on on rent collection uh they there was a su- successful petition uh for a moratorium on evictions that got through to the governor's desk and he signed it and so housing court is currently uh not going to be back in session indefinitely so that will stop uh evictions in this fucking horrible time um but if you uh, want to sign the petition, I'll put it in the show notes um, for the the rent collection moratorium. And uh, if you're not in New York, if you are, are similarly rent burdened, uh, there might be a similar proposal making its way through your city. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the people I know are have lost some if not the majority of their income and also i mean like i don't think about the stock market much at all because i have no savings and i have no investments and i have no money uh but um i know that like a lot there are a lot of people who have like you know working class middle class jobs who have like 401ks or something like that and those are all affected like i mean people's entire retirement savings are probably wiped out right now uh some people and um i don't know i don't know how money works uh and i never have and i will never figure it out and that's why i will be poor forever but <laughs> i i know how money works enough to know that the government uh can give people money right now if oh, they yeah. want to totally yeah. and also i think it's um i think it's really magnified the disparity in compensation between workers and c-suite employees particularly ceos because you've seen a few ceos like the ceo of delta or something said that he would like forgo six months of his salary or a year of his salary just to pay and he's able to like pay all of the employees with that which is cuckoo um i think we gotta expropriate the wealth of jeff bezos and the time is uh, is nigh. Yeah, I mean, Amazon is uh, is booming right now because of all the deliveries. And Amazon and is fucking Whole hiring- Foods. Whole Foods, yeah. too. Yeah, and Amazon's hiring like a, a bunch of new workers, you know, to deliver stuff um, and, you know, in their warehouses. And, you know, this is, you know, it's it's a pretty low paid job, as, you know, Bernie Sanders has uh talked about it again and again i mean uh the the pressure bernie put on them was you know made them raise their their pay a little bit but it's you know it's still like an incredibly bad job i mean especially for how risky it is now and it's just like thinking about all these retail employees who you know have basically they're basically like uh drafted for national service you know like the people who 
uh, are working in grocery stores right now are like risking their fucking lives. I know. And, and it's crazy that people have to do that for like minimum wage, you know? It's just horrible. <sighs> um, yeah. Uh, so, not a lot good going on right now, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Should we talk about the Democratic primary for a second? For a light appetizer <laughs> a light, yeah. a nice refresher course yeah, yeah so you know we have uh three there was supposed to be uh four statements um you know pri- doing their uh their primaries today um florida uh arizona ohio and illinois and i think um ohio postponed their primary right yeah georgia georgia did as well i don't yeah, Georgia wasn't today. It was Georgia's coming soon. Okay. Louisiana also postponed. But, you know, the DNC has been like extremely against uh, Tom Perez has been, you know, out there saying it's safe. A surrogate for uh, Joe Biden um, was yelling at uh, Brianna Joy Gray on Twitter because Brianna Joy Gray was saying the DNC should, you know, postpone the primary because it wasn't safe for people to gather in large crowds to vote. And, you know, people were she was Brianna Joy Gray was getting accused of like voter suppression and stuff. And so basically, like what's going on is, you know, the DNC and, you know, the Biden camp, they all, you know, want the primary to continue because, I mean, to me, it seems really clear that it's, you know, it's because, you know, as people get uh, poorer and more desperate, uh, Bernie Sanders is going to start to look a lot better yeah, and it could totally. change the dynamic of the race. And so they want to, you know, jam Joe Biden in um, before it's uh, too late. Um, but, you know, they're uh, they're, you know, compromising people's safety and they're you know it's spreading the pandemic and, you know, a lot of these like uh, older voters that are voting for Biden, I mean, they are the most at risk. That sucks. Joe Biden is like killing his own voters. It's it's disgusting, you know? <sighs> I mean, I, yeah. And yeah, the most immunocompromised people, the people most likely to get it are obviously the people who are most likely to vote for Joe Biden. And that is uh, really something else. Seniors and also people who are like, you know, People who deny science, I think, uh, prefer <laughs> be- prefer uh, Biden to Sanders. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these pictures online of, you know, uh, people in, you know, Illinois, these like long, long lines with people in like very crowded basements. People are leaving because they're like, I'm not willing to risk my health for this. You know, this is this also makes the case. A- this makes the case for the primary being one fucking week. Also, it's like, yeah. God, we start. <laughs> oh man, oh it's so it's so frustrating. This whole process has been like so demoralizing. But I know, I mean, the silver lining of that is that I know that there are so many incredible activists out there and people running for office who like are doing the work, who really are uh, walking the walk. Um, I I don't want to despair too much, uh, even though I know it's easy to, uh, but throughout this process and through even, you know, through doing this podcast and, uh, like on top of the organizing work that I do, I have met so many, you and I both have met so many incredible people who I'm like really inspired by. And I just have to imagine that like, we will come out on the other side of this and, uh, I will be able to watch 
Bon Appetit YouTube videos without worrying about <laughs> my parents dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the uncertainty is really hard. Yeah. You know? The uncertainty is really hard. But I mean, the one thing that kind of gives me like a little bit of optimism is at least, uh, you know, at least rich people are also affected by this, you know, and I mean, and they're affected by a, a populace that has it too. So like at least, you know, for once, uh, it's going to be in the interest of the powerful to, you know, find the fucking vaccine for this and get it distributed, even though they will try to fucking price gouge and squeeze people in any way that they can. Of, of course, of course, they'll do every evil thing before they uh, do the right thing, you know. But I mean, I, I can't imagine a situation in which it's not of benefit to the ruling class to try to get this pandemic under control, you know, like I just... At least there's that. It doesn't... I mean, they're going to need customers for their businesses, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't know. I, we're just going to be watching as the situation develops. But um, yeah, we are going to be, you know, uh, going two episodes a week starting this week. Um, we'll be releasing um, an additional bonus episode on Fridays uh, from now on. Um, and yeah, I mean... Thanks for hanging in there with us during the uh, coronavirus crisis. We, it is a lot. It is a big week of stuff to be like fucked up, you know. But um, at least we'll be uh, yeah. <laughs> at least we'll be uh, talking through it with some really fun and interesting people over the next few months. Yeah. Um. And if you, you know, I I put this out there on our on our our Twitter. But if you have any suggestions of stuff that you would like to hear us cover. Um, either on the Patreon episodes or on our regular episodes, um, just DM us on Twitter or reply to the tweet or, I don't know, send us an email through Patreon, whatever you want to do. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and we, we want to put out content that you guys want to hear. Uh, and yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for everything. I just... I'm feeling very folksy lately because I've just gotten, I've gotten sentimental in my old age, but we're hanging in there. All right. Thank you so much. And please enjoy this next interview with uh, Amelia Bono, who is the founder of Shout Your Abortion. I talked to her this weekend when I was in Seattle. Uh, I went to Seattle before the crisis had really, really escalated. And then I was there and I, I got home um after that but uh yeah this is us talking this weekend from seattle all right thank you so much hello and welcome back to reply guys i am in a hotel room with amelia bono the founder of shout your abortion uh hello amelia welcome to reply guys <laughs> hi kate thanks yeah uh, what a fucking weird time <laughs> So I don't know. How, my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone that uh, listens to the news and you are you're probably very overwhelmed and concerned with a uh, coronavirus right now. Um, and, uh, you know, we share your concern. I know, uh, Amelia, Seattle has been like one of the maybe the most cases in the nation so far. I think the most cases and we definitely had like domestic patient zero. We had the first identified case in the United States. 
So Seattle may be a little bit ahead of where the rest of the United States is going. Not to brag. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my <laughs> the vibe here that I've seen this weekend is like the streets are like very empty. Like it feels there's something a little bit not totally empty. We, we drove uh, like on Capitol Hill a little bit. We saw some people out and about. Um, how has this like impacted the social life of Seattle? What can the rest of America look forward to potentially? <laughs> I don't think that any of us know what to look forward to at this point. I think that it feels like everything is in free fall and um, you can sort of feel things changing so rapidly and just like uh, it's just sort of too fast and too much to process. I know that here um, in a very short period we saw like we've seen, I don't know, three dozen restaurants close, um, schools shut down, um, you know, grocery stores get like completely cleaned out and like people start hoarding things and um, stop being in public in the same ways and wearing masks. And um, yeah, it's really fucked up. We, um, Kate and I, started recording a, a couple of minutes ago and then batteries ran out and we exercised some really cool like convenience of late capitalism and got some fresh batteries delivered by the hotel up to the room and then we started recording again and during that time I got an email from my dad that my grandmother who is in a nursing home in eastern Washington is now like quarantined um, in her room and is not being seen by the nurse that she usually sees and also doesn't know like how to answer the phone and it's unclear how or when we'll be able to contact her. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty weird day and I am thinking a lot about um, the ways in which I am lucky, which are many. Um, Shout Your Abortion is a fully legit organization with a staff of four people. Um, I have a paycheck that I can rely on at least for the next year um, and it's not contingent on me going and working with the general public. I have health insurance. I can work remotely. Um, but yeah, it's feels pretty, um, undeniable that like things are changing in a way that is impossible to anticipate. And that like the things that we've relied on, like we were just talking about, whether that's even just, um, you know, whether it's convenience or, access to medication or, and maybe you never ha had that to begin with, or, you know, being able to go to a show or being able to have a career as a comedian or being able to watch a late night show that has a live studio audience. It just feels like everything is like the bottom is falling out and who the fuck knows. Yeah. It's really crazy. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm doing shows this weekend and you know, that that's a complicated decision. Uh, I came here because when I came to Seattle, I don't think that we understood what was happening. It's really kind of changing on a day by day basis super quickly. Uh, I left on Wednesday and that has that was the day I think that the school shut down. And uh, yeah, it's just been kind of rapidly evolving. Like on the one hand, like I'm a performer that needs uh, money from performing, you know, that's like a big part of how I make my living. 
you know, so I did the shows at the club and uh, I think there was, you know, I mean, it was maybe not even 20% full, probably much less, you know. So in that way, it was safer because right. there just were not that many people there. Yeah, I think it was like 19 people in one show, all very spread out. And then 12 people in another show, all very spread out in a room that seats a couple hundred people. And then did you have any Corona material. Yeah. So I did do some Corona material, uh, you know, um, yeah, I did. I did some Corona material. Uh, I probably will do some Corona material again tonight. Maybe try to tape some and throw it up on the Internet. But I've been thinking about it because here's the here's the thing. I'll tell you a story. I had this guy that I kind of had a crush on mm-hmm. and I wanted to uh, have sex with him. But I thought, OK, I shouldn't do this for various reasons, you know. So I, whenever I would think about like hooking up with him, I would imagine that it was in the apocalypse mm-hmm. because I was like, well, in, the, in that case, it's OK. Like right. anything goes sexually. Right. And then uh, I had sex with him. Several weeks ago, but then now the apocalypse happened and I'm like, am I a psychic or a terrible witch? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Who cares? Is- Just keep fucking. Yeah. I mean, more like a sex quarantine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's weird. I mean, it's like. We're seeing like all, you know, a bunch of a bunch of events shut down. I think, you know, live performance has been all but canceled in most places. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is obviously hitting members of the service industry incredibly hard. So if you another, can go out and tip well, that's good. Another piece of bad news that happened while you were changing the batteries, besides my grandma getting quarantined to possibly like die of insanity and her bed alone is that Trump apparently tested negative for the coronavirus. We, th- I mean, okay, look, I try not to go full conspiracy theorist on this podcast because right. I mean, I'm not, and yeah, I don't think it's good to spread conspiracy information, but uh, conspiracy information, well, that, that's not a good phrase. Right. But like, would, would they tell us if he did have it? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I just wanted to continue to dare to dream, you know. Yeah, I, I think I'm just gonna keep pretending. Okay, that's that he fine. Definitely has coronavirus. All right, forget that I said anything. Yeah, I mean, this is being so badly mishandled, and uh, you know, I know it's really day by day, but you know, at least 13 days ago, he was calling it a hoax, you know. And I guess yeah. according to scientists, if he had taken action back in January, there might not, we might not be, and this situation but he actually fired the entire pandemic response team in and 2008 he told, and he told everybody to keep going to work yeah and i think a lot of his supporters still believe that this is a hoax um you know or at least that it's not a very serious situation uh i think that yeah it's kind of weird like on the I don't remember who it was a couple weeks ago on majority report. I was talking about this in the beginning and him kind of trying to downplay it as like a democratic hoax. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I understood how serious it was at that time. I was, you know, I thought it was going to be like SARS or something where there was, you know, a level of alarm about it. And it was certainly very tragic for some, some people, but that it would not be something that affected most of us in our day to day lives. And now, uh, now yeah. here we are. This is this could be the biggest event of our lives. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, TBD, I guess. 
So, you know, I imagine that our, our listeners are going to be hearing a lot about a uh, coronavirus. So I, I'm going to shift the conversation here to some things that aren't coronavirus, because I imagine that, uh, you know, you've, you've got your corona content and you may want to learn about some other stuff. So um, I was wondering, Amelia, if you could tell me a little bit about uh, Shout Your Abortion. Yes, Kate, I would love to. Um, so back in 2015, ah, what a time, what a different time. Yeah. Um, so I had an abortion in 2014, uh, in Seattle. It was easy. I felt, um, completely certain in my decision and felt like a lot of just it, it was easy on every level. It was easy, like internally, it was easy in terms of access. I didn't face any institutional or like legal or logistical barriers. Um, I received great care from a Planned Parenthood that was like six blocks away from my apartment. I my experience was really defined by like a profound sense of gratitude for all of the things that I just said. Um, and I and I didn't ever experience any kind of like cultural shaming around it. You know, I'm from like, I'm from here. I'm from a super, I'm from the most liberal secular part of the country, I think. Um, and so I just felt stoked that I didn't have to have a baby and that it was easy for me to not do that. And fast forward to about a year later, uh, it was the time that a bunch of domestic terrorists um, made anti-Planned Parenthood propaganda that made it look like they were selling fetal tissue on the black market. Um, and I, at the time, was tending bar and I was in grad school um, working towards a master's in clinical mental health counseling. And I sort of just realized that I was talking about, I was really, really angry um, because this propaganda, it was, they, they started mobilizing the effort um, to, like the GOP was, was leaning on the plausible deniability around these videos in a way that they were like starting to marshal their first serious effort to defund Planned Parenthood. And I was talking about that all the time, like at the bar and in my school and stuff. And I wasn't necessarily talking about my own abortion in the same breath, just because that's like not a thing that you're supposed to do when you're like making someone a vodka soda or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I started to feel weirded out about the fact that I wasn't and felt like I was conceding like I was like complicit to a level of silence on on the left and amongst progressives and among, amongst pro-choice people that was allowing the right to just run the conversation in what was obviously a really damaging way. Um, and then essentially what happened is that I the day that the House of Representatives voted to defund Planned Parenthood, um, I just I wrote a status update on Facebook that just said that I'd had an abortion at Planned Parenthood and that I wasn't sorry and I wasn't ashamed and I was super grateful and that I was speaking publicly about it because I felt that the anti-choice movement was relying on silence from pro-choice women who had had abortions. Um, and I hit post, I ran out the door to the bus. I sent a screenshot of the status to my good friend, Lindy West, who already had like a pretty significant public profile at that point. Um, she is now like, has written a couple best-selling books, one of which Shrill was just turned into a Hulu series starring Aidy Bryant. Um, in which Adie has an abortion in the pilot. Um, but anyway, Lindy put this on Twitter, added the hashtag shout your abortion and the, the status or the, her tweet and my status just went super viral immediately as like hundreds of thousands of people 
um, use this hashtag shout your abortion to talk about their own abortion experiences. Um, and it was pretty much clear immediately that there was like a ton of like that people were just ready to talk and that people were sick of not talking and that people wanted to talk in all sorts of different ways and that there was just like an immense range of experiences um, and that we have not ever really like found community around this thing that many, many, many people experience. And um, so people sort of started just like doing shit immediately, like having events and like making clothes and doing graffiti and, um, you know, painting murals and just like all sorts of things. And I left grad school and started organizing and connecting with folks all over the country, like artists and abortion providers and people who had abortions and wanted to talk about them and started raising money. And um, we are now in our fourth year as a an organization that works to create places in art and media and at real life events all over the country for people to talk about abortion on their own terms. That's amazing. That's, I mean, I was really thinking about, uh, it's kind of the, the perfect topic for our podcast because it's really, uh, the story that you just described to me is where uh, feminism and politics and the internet all meet. Yeah, totally. And have like the best possible outcome. Yeah. So, you know, I think what you, what you're talking about, you know, has, it seems to me like people talking openly about their abortions um, has been so valuable and, um, you know, has really destigmatized it, um, you know, and made people feel safer. I can also see, you know, the point, like, I think some people would say um, that, you know, people shouldn't have to talk about these super personal things in order to move the political needle, you know, like, I, you know, I'm somebody who, like, I, I think I really believe to an extent in what people call like storytelling activism. And I think probably because for me, it's like I, I am, you know, I, I am a performer and I, I do talk about like personal shit all the time. It like comes very naturally to me and I, I like to share stuff. But I also like I totally get, you know, when people say like, why should we have to kind of open ourselves up? like this to to make a difference what were your thoughts on that issue i mean i totally resent the fact that um we don't just have free unlimited abortions paid for by the government that we can have at any point for any reason with lots of like community support and no stigma i am also angry about that um shout your abortion is in no way a a political directive or um, a feminist imperative. It's simply the idea that we should be allowed to talk about our own lives however we want. Yeah. Um, the last thing that I would ever want SYA to be is some other weird external sense of pressure that makes people feel like they need to talk about something they don't want to talk about. I simply believe that everyone would be a lot better off if we, if, if, conversations about abortion were normalized. Um, and that means that if, if you want to talk about your abortion, whether that's on social media, on your podcast, at your job, you know, to, to like get a, to like get, get an extension on your finals in college, um, I, you should be able to do that. And like, we are working to create a world where this conversation is not 
like where it's it doesn't have to be a secret. Um, but I think that like the idea that storytelling is going to fix policy is is reductive and like I don't know anyone who feels that way. I also think that we'll never live in a country where there is like meaningful just abortion access if we don't get comfortable talking about abortion. Yeah. I'm thinking Harvey Milk comes to mind and sure. how much um you know Harvey Milk was on the board of supervisors in San Francisco in the 70s and he was openly gay and really um I think pushed other people to come out to their friends and families um because his thought was you know if everybody know, understands that they know uh someone homosexual we would talk about it differently now you right. know like um but yeah. like but you know if everybody realizes that they do know a gay person then it's going to be like you know easier to move the needle for things like gay rights because people just aren't able to like think of it as you know something foreign and you know i think to some extent that has been true like we have seen you know such uh such a greater degree of acceptance um with you know same-sex relationships sure. versus like you know almost any other social issue yeah. of our time it's moved faster and i do think that that's because like yeah you yeah know? a thing i say a lot is nobody was fighting for marriage equality when everybody was in the closet you yeah. know and i think that the anti-choice movement and the gop has um, leveraged abortion stigma against us in a way that's really diminished our political power. Um, you know, if we're, and it's not even just about telling stories, right? It's about, um, it's about demanding access and, and not just passively identifying as someone who holds pro-choice beliefs. If a pollster, pollster asks you on a private phone call, but like, demanding accountability from your electeds and 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 learning to talk about all of the reasons why you refuse to live in a world without abortion access for all and that's not something that most people are comfortable doing um most people feel pretty like weird about saying the word out loud in a coffee shop let alone like wearing the word on a t-shirt that you wear having lunch um and that has been used against us in a way that's allowed the right to legislate this issue in a way that's just profoundly out of step with the actual opinions and the needs of the majority in this country. You know, 73% of Americans support Roe and one in four women or people who can get pregnant has at least one abortion in their lives. And the fact that they're getting away with decimating access um, in, in the face of those numbers, it has everything to do with our level of comfort as advocates. Yeah. What, what is the relationship more specifically between like level of comfort and what happens politically in your view? Well, I mean, I guess like, you know, if like if if you hold a a belief that abortion is. Is is a necessary thing in society. Yeah. And that is your, I do. right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but if that, if that belief is, is simply private to you. Oh yeah. But it, it does not inform, um, the way that you pressure elected officials. Yes. Um, or even necessarily, like, I think that there are lots of folks who 
consider themselves to be pro-choice, but may feel comfortable voting for an anti-choice politician. Yeah. Um, and that cognitive dissonance allows us to have the legislative outcomes that we have in spite of the numbers we do in terms of support. Yes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I'm sure you've thought a lot about this, but, you know, what, like, do you think that the the hang up that people have with abortion, like, you know, is it purely religious? Um, you know, is it? I think that there are a multitude of of hangups and that it's it's super contextual and specific to like who you are, where you live, where you're coming from, how you were raised. You know, like I, I kind of don't love the word stigma in many ways because it feels very like monolithic as yeah. if there's just like one way to feel icky about abortion. Yeah. But the fact is like, it's a supremely, like I would say an, a, a uniquely complex issue because it touches like our feelings about, about sex, about. Uh, um, yeah. People don't like it when uh, women have sex. People, as it turns out, don't people are, I think in general also just uncomfortable with non procreative sex. Yes. Um, people are uncomfortable with, sex outside of institutional um parameters um like people are people have a lot of different feelings about um when life begins people have a lot of different feelings about um respectability and abortions yeah like maybe you can have one as long as you um express some level of consternation about it or don't ever talk about it or talk about it in a way that is like, I'm sorry that this happened, or you buffer that disclosure with like, I was taking birth control, or I was only sleeping with this one person, or I just did this because I wanted to finish grad school or whatever. Yeah. Um, like even people left of center or people who know that they are pro-choice have like a lot of different hangups with abortion. Um, or just places where they have internal discomfort. I also really believe that like a lot of that internal discomfort has never been challenged. It's just sort of like stagnantly sitting there and hasn't been like tested by like just the humanity all around them and people saying, hi, guess what? I did this and this is what it was like and I'm living my best life because of it. Or I'm, I'm you know, like we, we are seeing, we like don't see ever like the evidence we just kind of think of it as this like theoretical private equation that we do in our heads um and like one thing that i i i think that like people left of center or people who are pro-choice who have their own internal hang-ups with abortion but know that they are pro-choice um feel really weird about like trying to work through those things and like here's the thing at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable with abortion. I would say that it it doesn't even matter if you think that abortion is murder. Yeah. Because, you know, we live in a country where the maternal mortality rate is like the highest in the developed world. That rate is four times higher for black women than white women. We know that we will always live in a country where people of means um, are able to have abortions and people without means are not is starting to be like the new normal and and already has been essentially uh, the case like since the Hyde Amendment since the Hyde Amendment made it so that abortion was like 
yeah, it was a right on paper, but it access was it was a commodity as opposed to something and that can you just say what that is for listeners who might not remember? The Hyde Amendment happened a few years after came along a few years after Roe and made it so that um people could not use Medicaid to pay for abortion. Yeah. Um but but so what I was gonna say is like I think that you can totally be a person who thinks you would never have an abortion or thinks abortion is kind of wrong or thinks abortion is um, that someone shouldn't have four abortions or thinks that abortion for a non-medically necessary reason in the second trimester is something that you're uncomfortable with. Um, and also that like the, the policy is crystal clear in spite of your own personal like feelings of complexity around it. Because, like, this is an instrument of, of class warfare. Um, it is an instrument of racial warfare. It, it is being deployed that way. And at the end of the day, like, if your personal hangups are precluding your ability to participate in this conversation in a way that's, like, pressuring elected officials or, you know, like, bringing this forward, um, you're part of the problem. Like, you're part of the passive pro-choice majority that's letting this shit get completely out of our control do you know what i mean i think i do yeah i mean i was thinking about what you just said about how it has become the new normal that women of means can have abortions and uh that uh you know for poor women it's pretty much inaccessible can you talk a little bit about the obstacles that low-income women may face when seeking abortion yeah, totally. So we live in a country where there are currently seven states with only one remaining abortion clinic. Um, and over 90% of counties don't have any. Um, abortion out of pocket in the first trimester runs like, I think, about $600. Um, and some states have workarounds that allow people to use Medicaid to pay for abortions, but that's the minority. Yeah. Um, and what states do you know what states those are not off the dome okay um it's like you know google you can't probably. do it in the bad ones yeah um and so you know there are in addition to just like a lack of clinics there are a host of just like uh there are trap laws which are is an acronym that stands for targeted regulation of abortion providers they're essentially just like um they are laws that are intended to close clinics, to force clinics to operate outside of compliance in a way that forces them to shut down. So we're seeing um, a, a Supreme Court case that has just been heard and like is being heard and the verdict will be announced probably in June. It's um, a case out of Louisiana and it's an admitting privileges law that, that says that like doctors who work in clinics must have admitting privileges to a local hospital but the hospitals won't give those privileges to those doctors. And even if they did, if you were in the super anomalous, like non-percentile number of people who like start hemorrhaging while having an abortion, your abortion provider is going to call 911 and an ambulance will come and take you to a hospital where a different doctor will treat you. Yeah. So it's like a complete, it's like a sham. It's not a real thing. It's a, a straw man. The only thing that they're trying to do is close clinics and, um, this case is like out, out of Louisiana is almost identical to a case that was heard in 2016 that was out of Texas and we won that case. Um, but the 
you know, people are rightfully really concerned that they have decided to hear this this almost identical case because now that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch are on the bench, they're going to rule differently. And if that does happen, um, it will very it will mean like the the beginning of the end of like a piecemeal erosion of meaningful abortion access in red states. Um, yeah, I, I I'm thinking about, you know, I mean, for me, I think a lot about the impact uh, on the Supreme Court of this next election and, you know, just so you know where I stand politically, like right now, uh, Bernie Sanders is still in the race, you know, um, obviously, you know, things are changing very fast. So by the time <laughs> you listen to this, I don't know, yeah. you know, I mean, Joe Biden is like, he's definitely the, maybe the front he, runner. But maybe and, he'll die of coronavirus. Yeah, you know, so like, let's say, um, you know, if, uh, I, I definitely, you know, I know that Bernie Sanders uh, has a has been a strong uh, advocate for getting rid of the uh, Hyde Amendment and yeah. making abortion free for everybody through Medicare for all. I find Joe Biden's record to be a bit more complicated on that. You know, I know he yeah. he, he supported the Hyde Amendment uh, for. Did you see that video that came out the other day where, like, in 2006, he was like, I don't think abortion is a right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that women have the right to yeah. be the sole deciders of what happens to their body. You know, he was using the safe, re safe, legal and rare rhetoric for a long time. And, you know, like what I think is that, you know, I think that Joe Biden's Supreme Court picks will definitely be like very pro corporate. Yeah, almost to the degree that Republican Supreme Court picks would be. But I think like on this issue, there might be a little difference. I think uh, he I don't know. Do you agree? Do you think that he might pick judges that are a bit more? I don't, we don't know. Right. Like he tried to get Clarence Thomas <laughs> confirmed to the Supreme Court, who was like, so, uh, you know, so anti-abortion. So, yeah. What, what would I you expect I would happen? I have no idea. I'm that's not my wheelhouse. Um, I I spoke at the rally at um, the Supreme Court uh, last week that was um, kicking off like the kicking off like it's a party. It was the opening arguments in this Louisiana case that I was just talking about. And one of the things that I said um, is that this this court has been illegitimate to me since Congress ignored the testimony of Anita Hill in yeah. order to put a sexual predator on the bench. Yeah. And, and Joe this, Biden had a big role in it. And it, Joe Biden had a big role in that. Yeah. And, and Jill it, wants us to get over it. Yeah. And, I mean, because like, you know, for listeners who might not remember, we do have a full episode uh, on Joe Biden talking about um, his role in the Anita Hill hearings. But, you know, the TLDR is like he prevented um additional witnesses from testifying yeah. who might have corroborated her story yeah um you know and uh yeah was generally intensely yeah. disrespectful to her so like the court's been illegitimate to me like since that happened and also since mitch mcconnell just like straight up stole the seat from merrick garland and then um you know since congress ignored the testimony of christine blasey ford and watched brett kavanaugh perjure himself um on national television and installed him anyway yeah. so like to me that court is not legitimate and even beyond that i reject the idea that a court um 
like could take away my freedom. Like yeah. I am a free, I, I am a free person and I will have abortions legal or not. This yeah. court will never stop me. Um, this court will never stop. Like we are as a movement needing to, I think, reframe the fight. Um, like, yeah, safe is great. Legal is great because that's a part of safety, but we're having abortions legal or not. And we're going to figure out how to help um, our communities do that safely. Um, and part of that, as I said, is protecting protecting ourselves and the people that we love and the people that are in our communities from criminalization. And we know that like, we know who the people at most risk of criminalization are. And it's not like, you know, like Joe Biden's side chick or whatever. It's yeah. gonna be the same people that this administration is trying to fuck with in every possible way. Um, so I would encourage people to start learning about self-managed abortion, um, which is buying abortion pills off of the internet outside of federal regulation and using them at home outside of a clinic. Um, you can go to sharesafeabortion.info, which is um, a site that's connected to Shout Your Abortions um, site. And on that page, there's tons of information about like self-managed abortion. So how to, um, how to find pills, how to use them safely, how to talk about them safely, how to protect yourself legally. There's also information about abortion funds, which, um, you know, the National Network of Abortion Funds has been operating like at state level, like helping people bridge the gap in access, whether that's like paying for an abortion or driving across state lines to access the service. Um, it, it, the, the site also has information about like just finding abortion clinics. Um, and yeah, I think that it's like time to in all ways sort of just like recognize that we're living in a failed state. We're surrounded by failed institutions. It's time to learn how to take care of ourselves and each other. Um, and that that isn't going to be legal a lot of times. And um, that to me doesn't have anything to do with whether it's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that nothing has made that more clear uh, than what's going on right now with the yeah. coronavirus. Um, you know, I know we don't want to speculate in an irresponsible way. So, you know, take this with a, a grain of salt. Uh, neither of us are uh, epidemiologists. Ep epidemiologists or have like any, um, you know, medical expertise. But, um, you know, what would you anticipate would be maybe some of the issues that could come up for people who are seeking abortions um, in the time of the coronavirus? You know, I don't know. I mean, I just know that, like, if a bunch of people are sick, they're not going to be able to get to a clinic. Yeah. And if a bunch of people are, like, quarantined, they're not going to be able to potentially, like, drive across state lines to access care at a later gestational point than is legally available in their state. Yeah. Um, and if clinics are forced to you know, temporarily closed because too many workers are sick. Um, that's more people having babies that they don't want because nobody was around to give them an abortion. I mean, I think that it's just like everything else where like service will be disrupted. And unfortunately, in this case, that means people who don't want to be parents being forced to bring children into this fucking hellscape. It would be such a weird time to actually have a baby right now. Like I'm someone who like the thing that I think about in my life now is not so much like 
how to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would like to have a kid. Yeah, but I'm like thinking about like just the all the issues that would be related to that. Like, yeah. you know, would like would that be I'd, a responsible thing to do at this somebody point? Somebody texted you know? me yesterday and was like, "Hey, weird question, but do you know where in Seattle I can get my implant on birth control rods taken out of my arm?" And I was like, yeah, check out Cedar River Clinics, our local indie clinic that's been holding it down for 40 years in four different locations. And uh, I was like, are you thinking about getting pregnant? And she was like, yeah, actually, I am. And I was like, go off, girl. Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) I think she's maybe just like trauma horny, but I also like found it very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, it's like it is, you know, there's been like jokes uh, on uh twitter about like a bunch of people having babies during this time which I, part of me honestly kind of hopes doesn't happen because they're all going to be sagittarius's it, well and it's just yeah i don't believe in horoscopes i, I have complicated okay. thoughts on horoscopes but i think that like are you a gemini yeah i am wow um you got me maybe you do now yeah i mean it's like i guess because i think that like I think horoscopes have uh, become one more way to for people to avoid naming the problem as capitalism, you know. Spoken like a Gemini. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I, you know, I feel like a big part of reproductive freedom, you know, for me as a person who hopes to have a child someday is like that we have this society, which is like, right. no, it, it's just like at this point, it's becoming yeah. untenable to not totally. have a, to have a kid if you're not right. rich, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's the distinction between the movement for reproductive justice, which was which is a movement that was created by like black women activists in the 1990s who were not feeling like the pro-choice, like white lady movement was speaking to the in the full spectrum of of needs that like was like okay well what if i can't afford to have a child what if i can't afford to like raise this child without and like what if what if the the police are killing kids in my community with total impunity what if like i want to have a bunch of kids and i can't what if i want to have you know access to birth control or abortion like it's all it's it's the ability to have or not have children in this world and raise them safely as opposed to like this very limited choice framework which is like really consumer oriented feeling to me yeah you know and is just not speaking to like the whole issue of reproductive freedom which is involves more than just being able to like delete a fetus or whatever yeah, I, I mean, climate change alone is just such a huge consideration yeah, for sure. any of us who would hope to be parents. I want to shift just like a little bit and ask you, you know, we've talked a little bit about like the way that your own politics um, have moved more left over the past few years. Uh, what what was it looking at uh, issues of access to abortion specifically that kind of got you to start thinking about some of the failures of capitalism or um, yeah. something else? I mean, I think that I, I think that I have become, I think that I've been like anti-capitalist since I was like in my late teens. And, and also I like was a Hillary supporter in 2016 and like even though those two things don't make sense but the reason that i was was i felt like i think everyone did this sort of or like many people did i felt this like um in retrospect just very false 
sense of like inevitability around her candidacy. I felt the same way, honestly. I thought yeah. that there was like nothing that could be. And I felt like done. people weren't ready for socialism. Yeah. And weren't ready for Bernie, which like apparently is still the case, unfortunately, although that's like a very loaded thing to say. But, um, you know, like I think that in the last few years, like it's really become uh, super clear that like centrists and like just that that like that like the democratic establishment is is arguably a bigger problem than like the trump administration i mean and they're just so fucking inept at like mounting any meaningful opposition to this administration and they don't actually like i don't know what even their values are anymore um and like yeah i think that I don't know. It just feels like that's a fucking wrap on the whole thing. It's definitely dark times for any of us who care about uh, almost any issue of uh, human dignity or compassion or justice. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. Well, OK, before we go, I just want to ask anything you didn't get a chance to talk about that you wanted to mention. Yeah, I guess I would just say. There are tons of different ways that you can learn more about Shout Your Abortion and get involved. If you just visit our website, shoutyourabortion.com, it's a place where you can add your own abortion story in text or video. And there are like a thousand stories on there at this point, and it is being used every day. Um, and, you know, it like generates cute, shareable graphics. And it's just kind of this big, like, you can it feels like a movement. And it, it's just like people all over the country and the world talking about just a huge range of experiences they're not edited or like sanitized you know um and and also i would say um we have a beautiful book that's called shout your abortion i co-edited it with my friend emily noakes and um it's full of people's stories from all over the country it's like a beautiful art book i'll totally send you one yay um and it's full of like stories from people all over the country ranging in age from 17 to 85 there are like people of faith and sex workers and people all over the gender spectrum and like poor people and, you know, famous people and everyone in between. And um, also like a bunch of examples of art and act like uh, actions that we've done all over the country. Um, and it's meant to be sort of like a, I don't know, just like something to inspire creative organizing around this and to just show people that like, you don't have to, like silence does not is no longer the default for everyone and um i'm super super proud of the book it's beautiful it's genuinely like riveting and compelling and it's in the lobby and waiting rooms and recovery rooms of almost 300 clinics all over the country that's and amazing it's been stolen from six pages get ripped out we replace books because people are like ripping pages out and shit um and yeah and we hear incredible feedback from people who work in clinics and tell us stories about like walking into the recovery room and seeing patients that don't know each other, like reading each other's stories. That's so beautiful. It really is. And um, yeah. So like, check us out, find us on social media, um, say the word abortion out loud, interrogate your own weird feelings about it. Talk to your mom about it. Talk to your dad about it. Or if you hate your parents, just like talk to somebody. I would love to have you back on another time too to talk about the process of uh, starting uh, an organization as well. Because I imagine that, you know, many of us over the next 
however long are going to want to find ways to be helpful in the short term and the long term. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, it's going to, you know, I I know for myself, like I'm still committed to like kind of, you know, electing leftist candidates to office. Uh, And I know that there are some folks who want their activism to kind of be focused on other things besides uh electoral politics at this time and everyone should just do whatever they want and are good at and have access to and and we need it's like all hands on deck and i i hate the thing where it's like storytelling all that matters is like elections and it's like well guess what like and and or either or or either way you know like people that are like you know, it's just like, just do the, just do the thing you're good at and want to do. Yeah. And like criticizing other people's activism is not actually a form of activism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love all that. I love when I see like people, you know, or like the, those tweets that are like, everyone needs to stop talking about this. And it's like, you're talking about it. I know, the only I know. thing worse than that subject is like your commentary yeah. on it. I don't know. It's so stupid. Well, anyway, uh, I just want to uh, thank you for coming on Reply, guys. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> Uh, talking to you, Amelia, and please, everyone, check out that book. Um, I know that I can't wait to read it yeah. myself. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Bye. Kate. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.